Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining. Just gonna give another minute uh, as people jump on to the Zoom. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday afternoon. We're gonna get started in just about 30 seconds. And thank you again for coming today. Very excited for today's conversation, which is our inaugural conversation as part of our Pride All Year Long series. Awesome. And feel free to add in the chat box where you might be calling in from uh, and let us know your name. That would be also great. And let's get started there. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Rob, and I'm the community and events lead at Power to Fly. So thank you for joining us today for our inaugural Pride all year long speaking series. We created this series because while Pride Month may have just ended here at Power to Fly, we celebrate and learn from the LGBTQIA community 365 days a year. In fact, proceeds from our merch store go to Angelica Ross's Transtech Social Enterprises, creating scholarships for trans and non-binary people looking to break into tech. That will continue all the way through the end of 2021. We're kicking Pride all year long off with a true Querio, the actress, singer, and activist who was recently named the ACLU's first ever trans justice ambassador, the iconic Peppermint. And before I turn things over to today's moderator, Joey Nolfi, I just wanted to tell you a bit more about Power to Fly. We are a mission, uh, it is our mission to fast track economic equality by upskilling and connecting underrepresented people to roles in highly visible sectors and by promoting diversity, equality, and inclusion in all its forms from the workplace to home, from media to the government. We host free virtual conversations just like this one almost every day of the week. Just last month, as you can see on the screen, we hosted our Pride at Work Summit, a four-day event featuring over 70 LGBTQIA leaders, including Representative Mark Takano, the first out gay person ever elected to US Congress, and the godmother of the Black Trans Lives Movement, Kyan Durashow. Recordings of all those conversations are available to watch for free on Power to Fly. And next week, we will launch our free Tech for Social Impact Summit, focusing on ways technology can positively impact people with disabilities, encourage volunteerism, support entrepreneurship, and promote sustainability. And this summit will conclude with a massive virtual job fair featuring companies looking to hire diverse individuals. And just some real quick housekeeping. Today's conversation is being recorded. You'll receive an email with that recording within the next 48 hours. Feel free to send that recording to any friends who couldn't join today. And we'll also be leaving some time for audience Q&A. So feel free to put a question for Peppermint into the question box. We'll do our best to get to it. And if you have a question that you'd like to remain anonymous, you can just DM that to me or to Joey, and we will uh, do our best to answer that. Now, I'd love to have our wonderful moderator, Joey Nolfi, turn his camera on. Joey is a writer and multimedia host at Entertainment Weekly. Based in New York City and Pittsburgh, he leads the publication's Wowie Award-winning, Webby Award-nominated RuPaul's Drag Race coverage, including EW's Binge podcast, which was amazing. Listen to every episode of it. 
and launching the Queening Out Instagram live interview series and much more. So Joey, I'm gonna let you take it from here and thanks everyone else for attending. Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for this lovely event put on by Power to Fly. It is so nice to meet all of you. Um, before we get into anything, I just wanted to also repeat that this chat is being recorded. You will get a link to the recording in the next 24 to 48 hours. If you have any questions or comments during the chat, please feel free to share them in the chat box. If you'd like your question to remain anonymous, again, feel free to send a direct message and um, we will ask the, the question on your behalf. Anyway, I am Joey Nolfi. I'm a writer and multimedia host at Entertainment Weekly, where I cover RuPaul's Drag Race heavily. And throughout covering this show, for the many years that I have, I encounter a lot of amazing artists doing so much for their community. And I am so honored to be introducing one of them today. She is a recording artist, an LGBTQIA icon, a trailblazer, an activist. She was the ACLU's first ever trans justice ambassador. And most famously, and let me tell you from personal experience, she knows how to work a wind machine. You know her from RuPaul's Drag Race, Pose, and the Go-Go stage musical, Head Over Heels. Please welcome Miss Pepper. Peppermint. Hello. <laughs> so beautiful coming in singing just like I like it. <laughs> Hi, Joey. Thank oh. you for that very fabulous intro. Of course, of course. Anything for you. I just have to ask though, wh where is the wind machine? The last time I talked to you, you had the wind machine. You spoiled I've got a light breeze going through my hair because I'm I'm on the um, I'm on the lake here in um, South Florida. Mm, just luxuriating by the lake. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into anything, can I just say, can we just look at these flyers that they made for us for this event? Our headshots. Oh my color? gosh, I mean, we are amazing. <laughs> well, like I said, we do have very serious things to discuss. Um, Power to Fly has gathered the people and they want to know, looking back on 2021, what do you think you can cite as one victory, perhaps a personal victory for uh, for Black queer rights, perhaps something you accomplished, and then uh, something that maybe somebody else accomplished that you saw happening elsewhere in the community. Well, I think that, uh, honey, we're getting right into it, aren't we? Oh, yes. Uh, I do think that one of the biggest victories, uh, one, of, one of the, an important victory for Black queer rights is the, the, just the idea that people are more open for conversation uh, and the to, people are more open to talking about and understanding intersectionality, I think in a way that at least I've never seen before, uh, post 2020. During just up to 2020 and, and even during 2020, there were, in the wake of a lot of things that were happening, there were several, several many statements that I saw on the internet uh, from people that were just kind of just tunnel vision sort of, and not really, uh, not really taking into account, uh, you know, more, more information. And I think that's one of the big, you know, the takeaway with the notion of, you know, intersectionality is that, you know, you and I can ha be told to go to the same space, you know, go to the same destination. But if you took a, you know, if you had to walk there and take a bus there and the bus broke down and then you had to, 
you know, hobble there and, and all that. And I could just drive a car there. We didn't have the same experience getting to that place. Mm -hmm. And so that is true. That's a kind of a crude example, but that's definitely true of a lot of people's experiences. So we can be in the same college. We can be at the same job. We can be even in the same relationship and how we got to those, those respective places um, is always different based on our own experiences and our identities connect to that. And, and so the notion of intersectionality, um, it just acknowledges that parts of our identity can help or hinder um, some of that journey. And I think people are just more aware of that than they ever were before. Yeah, yeah. And that's a victory for, for Blackness and queerness and Black queerness and queer Blackness. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's right that's right now you you've done so much um especially within the last year I've been loving seeing everything that you do how did you like I mean how do you find time to balance the incredible work that you do as an entertainer and also the work that you do as an activist while in a pandemic let let alone <laughs> well I mean thank goodness I had electricity and an internet signal let's just say yeah. that yeah um you know, it really is interesting that, that my, I follow my passion, you know, my drive, you know, and there are some choices that I need to make that are business choices that require more than just, you know, a spur of the moment decision. But when it's work related, I try to make decisions to do things and say yes to things that I know are fulfilling. And, you know, it doesn't always, I, I don't always, it's not perfect. I don't always achieve that, but, um, those are the things that I, that I try my best to gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And so while I have that going, um, I guess the activism side of things is really just what I think needs to be done um, in our community, whether it's by me or with me and someone else or by someone else. And I'm just amplifying their message. Um, mm -hmm. But I do certainly think that there's just not to sound so sort of trite and general, is there is a lot more work to do. Um, and we, it is possible to do that work and live the life that you want to live, whether it's continue your career, continue your education, work on your family. Uh, and I think that it's really interesting that when we're talking about activism, at least from my perspective, when, when I'm talking about, you know, equitable situations for LG, all LGBTQ plus people. Uh, and I do view that sort of how they're talking about the infrastructure. The infrastructure is, is investing in childcare more than in addition to bridges and roads. I think that investing in you know our future, whatever that means um, in our safety is investing our time and our efforts um, in the, the the well into the well-being of LGBTQ plus folks, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And I think it's because of this sort of attention to detail and the work that you do, trans rights have come a long way, but I think we still have far to go. So where do you see trans rights evolving over the years? And what can you identify as hopeful signs or, or promising seeds being planted today that you think will push that evolution along? I know this is live and I haven't had a chance to vet it yet. Um, I know that the Emmy Award nominations are next week, but there's rumor, an early rumor that 
one of my very close friends and sisters, MJ Rodriguez, is a front runner. And I'm so, I don't want to mess anything up. I, we should wait until we find out, but <laughs> I really hope that she um, gets the acknowledge, the professional acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I know that oh, that's not why she has done and made the choice. I don't believe that's why she's done and made the choices that she has made. But um, that acknowledgement is probably, it'll be significant to her, I would imagine, but it'll definitely be significant to us in the community. And so those types of things are the things that I think will be changing our future and adding towards that more equitable future that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing that I think is really important is having, in addition to, of course, visibility and more opportunities, which people from every marginalized community should have, um, particularly when it comes to trans individuals, I'm really focused on the relationships of trans individuals and their partners, their romantic partners, their intimate partners. We have them, you know, but a lot of a lot of the stories, the movies, the music, the things that you hear about, don't focus on any of that. And the only time I ever really hear the partner of a let's say a trans woman acknowledged is when we're finding out that so and so this this straight guy is dating a trans girl. Oh, and then sort of this like bizarre homophobia happens where oh he he must be gay or how does he like to have sex you know like things like that that are you know reductive and you know um transphobic and so i i think that in the future what i like to see and hopefully what we will see is none of that happening where someone who if they're interested in being in a relationship with a trans where someone who if they're interested in trans and are attracted to a trans person can just be attracted to a trans person and doesn't have to qualify that. And if they want to be in a relationship with that person that they can be in a relationship with that person without having to think about whether they're gonna lose their job or their livelihood or their friends or family or be ostracized, Um, which I know a lot of people kind of go through today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we never really get to hear or see trans people just living and breathing and doing the same things that everybody else does. Um, I'm working on it, not to plug the, here, but um, I have an album that I'm worked on that was my own. It's about my personal experience in a relationship. And I wanted to release that album. We've talked about it many times yeah. um, because I wanted to expose people to a black trans woman singing about being in love and someone loving her. And then more than that, when I did the music videos, I didn't want to have just me in a cute outfit leaning against the wall, singing about love. We've seen that. I wanted to have me, a guy up on me, loving me and caressing me and caring, cherishing me and showing that I'm to be adored in front of other people, Um, you know, the people watching the videos, Uh, because that's what people need to see. People need to see people of different bodies, different races, different genders, different ethnicities, different expressions being valued publicly. And we don't have enough of that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you leave it to you to plug your own work. I was going to bring up that album, but <laughs> glad that you did first um, as an important tool and sort of deconstructing what, what you're talking about. But we do, we talk so much about representation in public spaces like television and music and, act, and activism. But how do you think 
more representation in spaces like offices or boardrooms or positions of power at work? What kinds of impact do you think that would have had on you growing up if you had seen it back then, in addition to seeing it on, on TV and in music? Well, I mean, I probably, I, to be honest, I, I imagine because I'm terribly removed from anything that isn't the entertainment world, um, naturally, uh, I probably wouldn't have been aware of a lot of those things other than maybe the random example until I would enter the workforce. Right. But once I entered the workforce uh, and was, you know, finished high school and started going to get jobs, I quickly obviously noticed that I'd, not only did I not see other people like you're just describing other, other black trans people, a lot of other out queer people, period. But I, I remember the faces that I did see were looking at me and sort of, you know, with uh, this sort of disapproval, you know, I, I've been reprimanded for just be my own personal style, which these days is nothing, you know, gotta pay your dues, I guess. <laughs> Hope y'all are happy because I took one for the team. But, you know, wearing nail polish was like enough to get me fired. Hmm. Nail polish. And obviously things are different now, thank goodness. But those were the types of things. And so I think that sort of energy that was being put out forced a, a lot of people into hiding. People who needed and wanted to stay in the sort of corporate workforce, um, you know, I think, and at least during that day and age, probably felt very stifled, probably felt like they weren't welcome, clearly, if they're getting fired for just wearing some damn nail polish. Uh, luckily for me, I was able to go into the arts, which is a little more, you know, it certainly has its issues, um, but it is a little bit, you have a little more freedom to be an individual. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I think about that. It would have, it would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting you talk, like to talk about the corporate world because there's, you know, at the end of Pride Month, we always see that discussion come around that there's a lot of quick fix activism going on, like brands just sort of plastering the rainbow or trans flags on their logos and then erasing them on, on July 1st. Do you think that that is in some ways more damaging than it is helpful to sort of wipe it away as if it's a costume? No, I don't think it's damaging that they're doing that. I think it can have a damaging effect. Mm -hmm. what, I, and I, what I mean by that is it's not damaging that they're doing it. It's damaging that we allow them to do it and then, get, and then laud them for it. The, these corporations are doing exactly, they do the same thing with pride that they do with Halloween and with Christmas. And unfortunately, pride is much more connected to, to our identities, especially in a day and age when there's so much anti-trans legislation and when there's so many, so much anti-LGBTQ sentiments, at least in the past few years. <clears throat> and, and so I think the thing that's dangerous is us taking that crumb, because it's crumbs, it's crummy and it's crumbs to do that. Right. And so us taking those crumbs as if it's, and pretending like they've just given us, you know, this big old five course meal smorgasbord. Yeah. No, we need to call the crumbs out for what they are mm -hmm. and we can, and you know, yes, we don't want to, I don't, I'm not anxious to, to go back and see a time where corporations didn't want to publicly acknowledge LGBTQ people. That's not what I'm saying, but it is important that we start putting um, as 
corporations and companies doing what we can to address the issues that are negatively impacting the community in addition to just putting a flag on your wall yeah you know well i think it is on that note it is interesting because of all the work that you have done one of the interesting things from the black queer town halls was that you raised $71,000 on GoFundMe to pay the contributors to the black queer town hall. And that's such an issue as well, also throughout June of people reaching out and not paying collaborators. So why do you think people specifically feel like they can do that during pride month to queer people? And what advice do you have for queer people who are contacted to do unpaid work for things like that? I think it's, you know, I think it's, 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 Clearly, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a habit that's easy to fall into mm-hmm. because it happens a lot. And I think when you have something that is identity based or closely connected to an issue that's personal and is someone's identity that you don't know about, if you're the corporation or the the sometimes even the pride committee, mm-hmm. um, I do think it is understandable that they that they have that sort of like okay, let's get someone who knows about it. And, you know, they'll just have to understand that, that we don't have any money, but they're passionate about it. So they'll do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's clearly, I, I definitely think that's sort of the train of thought that goes into asking these people, but we were not having it because Bob and I, and, and I know we've talked about this, Bob and I did like many other queer folks, especially black queer folks during 2020, volunteer for individuals, for groups, for companies and corporations. I just got a text two days ago to do another like major company. And if, and I, and if I'd said just yes to doing it for free, then they would have scheduled it already. Yeah. I told them then you need to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's important that we tell, and, and, and this is not that unique because even in the world of acting, I encounter this um, and I have these types of conversations with actors of all persuasions and identities uh that you know they have to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. to get paid if they especially if they don't have representation um and so that is it's it is a there's an epidemic of that but it is important that these companies and corporations like i said in the last you know response really do the work to address some of the situations that are of, you know, related to whatever the issues that, that, that they're trying to address. Mm-hmm. And for, if you're talking about during pride and you're addressing, you know, blackness and queerness and black queer folks, then you, we want to talk about, you know, um, it's, you know, structural and institutionalized racism. Mm-hmm. And in addition to uh, systemic racism, yeah. we want to talk about, uh, we want to talk about we want to talk about misogyny in a way that acknowledges, you know, that that it's really difficult to separate a lot of these things, racism and misogyny um, and transphobia and, and homophobia. Um, and so all and we also need to pay, also address poverty and lack of access to income. And the, the best way corporations can do that is simply to pay. And by the way, um, last year we raised over 275,000 for Blackbird Town Hall, and this year it's 200 and right now we're at 244. Ah! That's incredible. 
that is incredible. I mean, hats off to you for that. It's just such important work. And I think speaking of, of the economics of it, I mean, there was a study by the Williams Institute that says that LGBTQIA plus people of color are more likely to live in poverty. So what do you see mm -hmm. as the connection between wealth and the black and brown LGBTQIA plus experience? Oh, oh, um, we're going through it today, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just passed out. Um, I think that the lack of wealth and the black uh, LGBTQIA experience uh, is one that I see far too often. Not that I don't see people who are well-to-do and and who are people of color. Of course, I do, but there just seems to be, just quite frankly, there just seems to be a sort of symbiosis between mm -hmm. corporate America, community-led organizations that are led by white folks, like pride committees, right? Um, and individuals who are entertainers, sometimes not even in the queer community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like there are divas who, who would come and get paid $40,000, $100,000 to sing their hip hop hit at Pride when you have 40,000 people who are queer and half of them are people of color who you're not paying at all to do everything else around that person yeah. and do mm -hmm. the opening act. Mm -hmm. And so those are the situations that I think we need to really take a look at. Um, I do think that getting, just like in film and television, having, you know, not that this is all about pride committees, but getting people involved, you know, look, there's many large cities have something called black pride and they have it for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we need to get more diversity and more inclusion across the board, especially on pride committees. And one of the, the pitfalls I think that we fell into recently or not so recently was that, you know, I think a lot of the people who, you know, I'm guessing, but I'm, it's probably not an exaggeration to guess that most historically, most of the pride organizations were run by gay white men um, and, and were not as inclusive as they could have been mm -hmm. or should have been. And in those situations, you know, the, I think, at least I remember hearing and experiencing, and I certainly saw plenty of it in 2020, uh, white gays were like, honey, I couldn't be racist, I'm gay. What? Like, where, where is this coming from? And so they're, they're, I can't be transphobic, I'm gay, or I can't be blank, I'm, I'm gay, you know? And sort of their, their queerness is seen as an excuse or a, 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 way, a way to erase anything else that may or may not mm. be an issue to look at. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that gay white men are problematic just by definition. I'm saying that if in a system like this, where we're talking about white supremacy, white supremacy has a, everyone in this country has a relationship to things like white supremacy and misogyny. And just because you're gay doesn't mean you don't have to examine or interrogate your own relation to those systems. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very well said. Yes, that is, I think more and more people need to come around to that idea because I do see it too. I mean, it's like people in the community use it as like sort of like a get out of these dealing with these issues free card. And yeah, it's really frustrating <laughs> to see. Um, so I'm glad you're calling it out. It's very important to do so. And um, I also want to talk to you about, you know, the entertainment industry in the last year, because 
the the events of the last year impacted entertainers around the world on such a grand scale. But how, in your view, have you seen the pandemic specifically affect the Black and Brown communities, um, and specifically queer people in the entertainment industry and beyond? Well, you know, most of, or at least a good amount of the year was obviously spent in lockdown and in sort of a deep lockdown, sort of shelter in place, depending on, unless you lived in Florida. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, I, what, I had the great misfortune, and I don't even want to qualify it, but um, of seeing, of losing friends during the pandemic, you know, and, and that was, that was, those were, these were entertainers, people that I knew in the nightlife industry who, um, you know, were not able to, to were not protected in a time when we should have been. That being said, there was a lot we didn't know in the earlier part of the pandemic and the, there was way too many lives lost yeah. um, and too many livelihoods lost. Uh, one of the things that I am seeing in the wake of, and by the way, there's, I was just heartbroken because I, I want to bring up the world of Broadway. Okay, this is a lot. So I'm gonna try to make it real concise. Uh, in addition to people, um, ever, many of us losing jobs and work globally, um, in, you know, and also friends and family and loved ones, some of us, uh, I was seeing Broadway performers in New York, one of which was a friend of mine who had just gotten a starring role on Broadway at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, and after she and the rest of the cast got sick with COVID and they closed the show, she decided to move back and say, I'm quitting Broadway. I'm quitting living in New York. I'm not going to be a performer. This is a young woman who was would have was starring on Broadway. Wow. And that happened a lot to a lot of people. She happened to be white. You know, it was just, I don't even know if she identifies as queer. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just entertainers in general and, and live theater, obviously it, it took a huge toll. You know, you even sports games and sporting events. I don't know how to talk about sports, sports games, even sports <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> they're able, they were able to, they had a tough time and, and for sure everyone had to, it was a learning curve, but they had to, they, once they had, once they were able to figure it out, they were able to figure it out a little sooner because, you know, many of these arenas are open and, and you don't have to sit next to other people necessarily. And the, the, athletes, the athletes, I was gonna say the performers, the people on the state, on this field, whatever, the people about doing sports the activity, the, I need to get out of this sports thing, the, the people playing, they're not like in the same, they're not like touching the audience or the spectators, mm -hmm. whereas in a live theater show, if anybody's ever sat in a front row of a Broadway theater that they, they, you're notorious, if you're watching the show, you're gonna get spit on by the performers. Oh, yes. That's just the way it is. And you mm -hmm. love it every minute of it, except during COVID. And so then, you know, you can't even have that. And Broadway theaters are smaller, they're more condensed, less, there's less breeze space, they're oftentimes older. They're obviously closed off uh, indoors and people are right next, those chairs are, but you can't move those chairs, they're like built next to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just no way to do it. There wasn't a safe way to do it previously. Broadway is back and I'm yep. happy to hear that. But one of the things that Broadway didn't do was, take the time, well, I can't say they didn't take the time. One of the things that Broadway wasn't forced to do was open during the time of this sort of, what people are calling this racial reckoning that we're having. Um, like 
the world of sports, a like NASCAR was doing about with, you know, there's so many headlines about whether it's a hanging noose or the Confederate flag, or how do they, how are they treating the black members of their sporting events? You know, they, they had to have these tough conversations. You know, Aunt Jemima was a slave on a pa pancake box. We're not doing that in 2021. Mm -mm. And so Broadway didn't wasn't necessarily forced to have the same conversations. They're having them now. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's really important. So when it comes to blackness and queerness and the pandemic, we really had an opportunity to, to have obviously these tough conversations, but as live performers, one of the things that I was seeing, live performers and people connected to the entertainment industry that I'm, that I'm seeing today is unfortunately, corporations and companies, not, not necessarily Broadway, but just corporations and companies that are connected to the world of entertainment, mm -hmm. film and television companies, production companies, are still pay, paying black trans women. They're hiring black trans women more than they ever were, but they're paying them the lowest of anyone else on set. Yeah. And so I, there's obviously, again, there's more work to do, mm -hmm. but it is great that we are starting to see um, these people at least be thought of. Yeah. And do you think that there's like a, you know, I'm, I also noticed something in that, on that token that it's like, you know, people will say, well, you know what, we're in the door, so we shouldn't complain or put up too much of a fight about mm -hmm. it. And it's like, do, do you feel yourself fighting that instinct sometimes too? Because I see a lot of people saying things like that and, it, and it's, it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to articulate, but it's as to why there might be that hesitance to also fight, fight for yourself sometimes. Well, I guess it comes, it depends on who it's, who that sentiment is coming from. And there right. is some truth to, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, unfortunately it does change does happen incrementally. Yeah. And so, you know, just like my appearance on Broadway, I was what people would call the only one at the time. It's not like there was a whole slew of us, although mm -hmm. I wasn't the only trans person on Broadway at the time. Uh, it was just a Broadway musical, but um, Alexandra Billings and Tida Foe were also um, performing on Broadway at the same time that I was. Um, and um, I'm sorry, I just got sidetracked, but yes, it, it is important that we have, you know, it's a double-edged sword. These moments are rare because historically we don't have a large history of them all happening. Obviously if we did, we wouldn't be talking about it. So, they, so they happen slowly and they happen one at a time in the beginning, mm -hmm. just enough for people to see that yes, it does work. And then once you see it does work like a Laverne Cox, yes. it works. Hiring a black trans woman is good for business. Clearly, yeah. Do it, yeah, do it again. What happens? MJ Rodriguez, there's, pardon me, there's more. And so I'm getting hyped up. I'm hitting <laughs> up things. <laughs> and so hiring people, you know, hiring and paying people, and 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 bringing on people of these that are all of these different ethnicities and identities and and gender expressions is good. Um, and so don't just tokenize us. And we'll know. I guess the biggest way for Mike to be encouraged for myself is now I know when we're going to be tokenized. I know who's trying to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm aware and I'm not going to just, I'll let you just have the, okay, we'll take the one. You're going to hire one and you've never done it before. Okay, okay fine. But believe me, we're looking at that next hire. Mm -hmm. We're looking at to see what your next project's going to be or mm -hmm. what you're going to say about such and such 
the next time you're talking about it. Yeah. And, and so going back to the corporations, yes, a lot of people think that that's sort of like rainbow washing and pink washing um, and certainly tokenism, but I view it and I only, and I will only, I'm only willing to look at it as them giving a signal. We're ready for you to drag our asses Mm-hmm. until we get it right yep we're mm-hmm. ready we we change our logo to rainbow now obviously they're not going to leave their logo rainbow for the whole year right. but we're watching mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah there's the, it's it's there's a blueprint to work off of now and a blueprint is mm-hmm. not static it a blueprint can change so when you're building a building so that is a really great way of putting it um now the work that you're doing to uplift the community i think it was just i want to go back to the black queer town halls because those are just some of the most amazing things that i saw come out of the last year so can you tell us a little bit about those town halls that you organized with bob the drag queen um and and why the idea started where did the and where did you see the biggest impact from these events last year and this year Yeah, you know, we were seeing a lot of terrible, horrific images of particularly, and videos, mostly many videos of black men being killed on video in front of our eyes. And I never thought that I I don't want to see people gained. Look, it's obvious. I don't want to see that stuff. Mm -hmm. But we were seeing it on replay over and over again. And then the next thing was happening, like you said, like we had talked about was groups and corporations and companies and even individuals were sort of relying on us to be the people who would lead them through their own legacies of racism. Mm -hmm. And for free. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so President Obama did a town hall last year Mm -hmm. that Bob the Drag Queen watched and was really inspired by and said, we should do a queer version of that. And that's where the idea came from. And so Black Queer Town Hall, for those that don't know, it's a um, it's a it's a virtual this year virtual last year virtual hopefully next year won't be virtual uh, event that focuses on black queer love and celebration and joy 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 also acknowledges pain and you know education uh, we have performances and there's panels and speakers uh, and we take in money, the the organization is now a nonprofit, a 501c3, believe me, I never understood why people would be like bragging about their organization being 501c3. Now you do. It is not easy to do. (laughs) It is like nearly a year of work. So we did it Mm -hmm. Um, y'all, we're a a charity and we can take donations and and everything like that. Um, But the point is that, you know, we raised all this money and we just, wanted to pay the 40, 50, I don't know how many people we had, you know, uh, well and fairly, you know, uh, and everyone just splits the money, you know, everyone takes their percentage of the money. And uh, we're very transparent about how the money is raised, where it comes from and who's it, who, it go, who it's going to. Uh, and then in addition to that, there's a uh, percentage that is reserved for, for, a, for an outside charity. Yeah. Last year it was the Okra product. This year it's the uh, Knights, the TKO Society, the Knights and Orchid Society in Alabama, which focuses on uh, basically improving the quality of life of Black LGBTQ folks in, in Alabama. And uh, and so this year uh, we didn't quite 
break this. We didn't break the same mark as we did last year. This year we're at, I think 240, we're over 200 K at like 240 something K. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we, we started with like a a live stream bringing in like $300. And so we had a lot of generosity, a lot of help doing that. And we're going to do it again next year. And people can go to blackqueertownhall.org for more info. Mm -hmm. What, what do you think was the most memorable part of the 2021 edition, the actual presentation of it? Because really cool guests. Yes, we did. I mean, first of all, the, okay, there's three. The, uh, the, the performances, the performances, the performances, the performances, the performances. Monet Exchange, Oof. Jade Essence Hall, uh, Shea Diamond, who, if anybody watches Bob and Eureka and Shangela on We're Here, the music that you're hearing is Shea Diamond. Uh, Shia was our headliner last year. Uh, wonderful performance. There's someone that you should keep your eyes out for who performed at this year's event called B. Steadwell. They are amazing. B-E Steadwell, S-T-E-A-D-W-E-L-L. Check them out. Believe me, y'all. Check them out. So the performances were great. Um, obviously, the panels and the conversations were, I think, poignant. And, um, you know, we had a really not to mix everything up, but 2021, we had uh, a, a, not really a panel, but sort of a PSA focused on um, letting everybody know what's it like to be a black queer athlete. Uh, as we're seeing with Shakari Richardson, there's a lot of conversation around the treatment of black queer athletes, especially, especially trans athletes. Uh, when it comes to policies and laws that are written that are discriminatory. And we can go on and on about how marijuana laws disproportionately affect people of color. That's another conversation. Um, But, and I know the the Olympic organization and committee is different than a city and its municipal laws, but, you know, sometimes if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. (laughs) Um, But my favorite... um, I'd have to say my favorite moment for sure. Okay, my two favorite moments. I, I said all that. My, the most moving moment for me was when Alex Newell sang the uh, Black National Anthem. Yeah. It was, oh, I get, get bumps just thinking about it. It's emotional. Uh, I can't even go into, it was, it's emotional. Um, and my favorite moment is uh, a moment that's very special is the moment that I got to talk to and interview Dr. Angela Davis. Oh, I was going to say. Uh, historian and legend, um, civil rights activist, uh, queer woman. Um, look her up, y'all, if you don't know. And so those are my favorite times. Yeah. You could, I mean, you could just see it in your eyes how excited <laughs> you were. I mean, it was a, a huge moment, huge moment. Um, so because you are so hands-on in a lot of what you do um, from your music and art to your activism and creating things in a position of power like the, the Black Queer Town Halls, uh, why is it so important for you to sort of not give up that control in those areas and spearhead and create on your own, on your own terms? I think that, you know, We've seen our stories be told before. We've seen our stories be told by others before. Anyone who's watched, hopefully you have watched the movie Disclosure, will talk about 
um, queer stories, transgender stories, stories of transgender people uh, are not new when it comes to entertainment and film and television, but they have been told in so many ways, many ways, many of those ways that we view today as very problematic. Many of those ways we viewed back when in the day as problematic as well. Uh, but the, 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 they, those things are different now. Many of them, not all of them. We're seeing stories being told by our, you know, from our own minds and our own, by our own pen and our own telling and from our own platform. And the difference between those stories and these stories is those stories have been highly problematic and, and, and detrimental, I think, to the health of and lives of a lot of trans people. Meaning, you know, we have a generation of people who just for one example, taken from disclosure, the popular movie, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective with Jim Carrey, you know, had so many anti-trans yeah. or transphobic tropes and actions in them. Everything, you know, from down to vomiting when you see, when at the very sight of a trans woman. Yeah. That, when, when lots of young folks are watching that on replay, because they were, mm-hmm. uh, that, it's going to form your opinion about who transgender people are, mm-hmm. at least on some level. And that's then going to, inf- if you've never met and or had the opportunity to deal with or, 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 or relate to a trans person, then suddenly that's going to be your blueprint on how to treat us. Yeah. And, and we saw that played out in real life on what Jerry Springer, where people would bring somebody on granted. I mean, it's Jerry Springer, but you know, they would, we were literally seeing one person saying, I love you, I'm gay, or I'm transgender, or I'm whatever they're saying. And then the response to that was, let me pick up a chair and hit you over the head with it. How is that not a violent connection? Mm-hmm. And so those, that's when someone else is telling our stories and in control of how our stories are used. When we're telling our stories, we get to see people like MJ Rodriguez, written by a black trans woman, written by queer people, telling stories about queer and trans people and acted and performed by obviously a black trans woman. Mm -hmm. And that's way more heartening and beautiful. I believe it's more beautiful and certainly more authentic to our lives than these stories of us being the perpetrators who deserve to get smacked over the head with a chair. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's when you have that control and that license to sort of take control of your own narrative on that platform, it really, it, it's crazy to see how much it, you know, a show like Pose has changed the narrative surrounding trans people in entertainment. So yes, very important. I know, I think we're running short on time here on our Q&A, but we, I would like to take it over to the audience Q&A because I know we have some questions waiting. Uh, so I'm going to read one that was pre-submitted first. Um Let's see. Uh, oh, this is this is an interesting one. Um, how do you balance visibility and safety? Um, how do I balance safety and what? Visibility. Hmm. That's a good question because you know we do know that when we are more visible, then attacks on our communities rise. 
attacks on individuals in our communities rise and attacks on the community and at all and at the whole rise. Um, I do think I don't know that there's a balance to those things. I think visibility comes before absolute safety. If we're talking about like the safest of the safe, you know, sometimes those two things aren't necessarily congruent. Um, you know, I think just, you know, being the most safe, some people, some people might argue is being the least visible. Then if no one knows you're there, then you can't be a target. Right. Yeah. And I'm talking about violence, violent crimes and violent attacks, mm -hmm. physical violent attacks. Um, and so when we are more visible, like we are, and certainly less afraid to be either out in public or at this place in public spaces or on film and television in a grand scale, when you are less afraid to do those things and you're less concerned, then that, uh, that probably provokes something in people who want to attack us. <clears throat> and so I, I think true safety isn't necessarily hand in hand. Um, I think that they come, it comes afterward. Um, there's another one uh, that's interesting here. I'm just trying to look through these, sorry, as you're answering. Um, the, the, someone is asking, what are some common missteps you see people who are trying to be allies make? Well, the, there's lots of them. And to keep things moving, I, the ones that I've seen, the, the, the typical ones, the faux pas are Googleable. Forgive me for turning you over to that part of the internet. One of the things I do want to, to say about allyship, though, is that I've seen allies do that I think is unfortunate, and, but it's understandable, is check out. Allies, if I'm just an ally, I'm not really invested. I'm here to support you. Oh, you go march for your rights. I support you. I got to go. You know, like, that's what allies do, mm -hmm. where people who are fully invested accomplices. An accomplice is literally the definition is to uh, <laughs> help you from beginning to the very end. They will see mm -hmm. it through. And that's what we want is people who are not trying to check out and be like, oh, my, my bus is here or whatever, but, you know, they not leaving because the job is not done. If they, the, believe me, allies leave before the job is done. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And the job is not done and it can only be done with all of all as many people as possible so we can't have a bunch of people checking out halfway through we need you to fight for us the same way that we fought for you and any, and when i say we i mean me <laughs> fought for marriage equality so i want all the folks who are white and gay and cis to show up for black trans women because mm -hmm. i was on i was marching for that marriage equality i wasn't getting married you know, when, you know, let, let's talk about how folks are turning out for different communities, whether they're women or Asian Americans or, you know, Black Americans or, you know, Jewish Americans. You know, I, I think maybe this is an interna international, I don't know, but it's not just Americans. People of different identities, you know, we want to turn out for those groups. Mm -hmm. um, and and we it's important that we are a hundred percent invested because that's the only way the oppressor whatever the oppressor is is going to is going to keep oppressing because it knows that all of your help your backup that you brought is about to go home for dinner 
And then when your backup goes on for dinner, it's just you. <laughs> and that's an, it's, it's something that's as simple as, like you're saying, almost just switching the word from ally to accomplice. That communicates mm-hmm. so much more of what you're looking for in just a simple switch of a word. And that, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize it's as simple as that sometimes, is thinking about the way you use the word to describe yourself when you're, you're helping mm-hmm. people do these things. So yes, mm-hmm. we should all aspire to be accomplices and not just allies. I love that. Um, so let's see, I think we have time for one more question. I'm going to check. I'm talkative today, honey. Ooh, so um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's see, there is. Um... Okay, so somebody says, I am a 10 year veteran of the St. Louis drag community. Do you have any tips to help me find better slash more performing opportunities? I find it hard to make connections with other queens to help me advance my skills and career. It's a tough one. I do think that, you know, especially in this day and age with with post pandemic and the way that the pandemic has left our culture and technology and how we use it, it's, it's tough to figure out a way an easy answer to that. Pre-pandemic, I would have said, go out, if you're a drag performer, you need to go and perform as many places as possible, yes, for free, to sort of pay your dues. If no one knows who you are in that city or area, then that's how I would have done it. Yeah. And then eventually you start getting more opportunities, higher profile opportunities, and then eventually that the money matches that. Mm-hmm. And so... That's what I would say, you know, in terms of experience, you could do that and create your own show. It's not going to be as fierce on the first day as it would be a hundred days later, but, you know, create your own situation. And I think that's right now where we're in a situation that's conducive to that is to creating our own niches. It's creating our own content that people are going to watch on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um And so that's what I have to say. Yeah. Beautifully said. Peppermint, thank you so much for your time today and talking with me for this wonderful event, for all that you do for the community. I mean, you are such an icon and a beacon of inspiration. So uh, hats off to you. And I love that we talked about sports. I mean. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I fumbled. I fumbled through it, but there was the sports reference. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Everman and Joey, thank you both so much for your time today. This was amazing. What a way to kick off our Pride All Year Round speaking series. And thank you everyone who joined here on the Zoom, who watched on our website, who watched on YouTube. Will This recording is going to be up in you know about 24, 48 hours. Of course, if you're watching the recording right now, you know that already. Thank you again. Be sure to check out both of these amazing people and everything that they do online. Thank you again, both of you, for being here. And thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.